This is Delaney Ray and Joe Graves with Central City Church, and we are recording this for midweek. Well, last week went really well. We were meeting down here in St. Luke's basement for the first three chapters of New Kind of Christianity with Brian McLaren. We had a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. Um, Now we're getting into the next part of the book. First chapter we're going over is how the Bible should be understood versus how it's been understood over years and years. And um, the first question that really stuck out to me the most as I was doing the reading was that Brian uses the word of Brian uses the word box cutter or suitcase bomb to describe the Bible for that of many preachers, teachers, and priests. Um, and seeing as the Bible has been weaponized, he also says that it it's been used as a club or a sword, and all of these things are coming as weapons. But of course, all of these things can also be used for good. So, yeah, you know, have you seen the movie The Book of Eli? I have not. You've not seen that no. one? I'm not saying it's mm-hmm. worth watching, but it is Denzel Washington. And, uh, um, but they take this idea that the Bible specifically, I would say probably any holy book from any religion has been, and I'm not a religion historian, so I can't give you specifics, but generally speaking, if something is lifted up as an authority, it's probably been misused. Mm-hmm. And they take that idea specifically with the Bible, and it's in this post-apocalyptic world where... Um, He's got a copy of the Bible, and there's no copies left anymore, and it becomes this whole thing around hmm. how the Bible could be misused in the wrong hands. Interesting, it's like yeah. It is, like, elevated to the this that idea. But, I mean, if you're listening, you probably, you know, could answer that question. Have you ever experienced the Bible being misused as a weapon and to cause harm? Or do you know of any examples where it's been misused? And that's really kind of the starting place for Brian's uh, conversation. Where have you seen it being misused? But mostly in my life, I've, I think I, it's the verse picking, which we're going to talk about in a bit as well. Um, I think that the main way that people misuse the Bible is taking just a sentence and making it out to mean something that it's not. Um, of course, there's so many other things in the bible that are talked about you know war violence slavery we could we could talk about slavery for a while since it is black history month um it's an important no it it, (laughs) it's 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 a very important conversation and brian mclaren spends a lot of time on it the the thing that you probably know if you don't i got some bad news for you in the history of america specifically and the race-based chattel slavery of america the Bible was one of the main arguments used to defend slavery. Right. So you had sincere Bible-believing Christians who were using the biblical text to make a case. And this kind of thinking, I mean, you can go, and I've, I've mentioned this in a sermon once, you can go all the way up to um, Congress in right. conversations around slavery where they quote in reference biblical narratives and why the United States of America, this is right, I think this was before the Civil War, where why the United States of America should not bring it into slavery. And it was the Bible as a reason. So, I mean, we now, and this is a great example because we now live in a world where the vast majority of people, 99% 
of people in America would say slavery was a bad thing, including Bible-believing Christians. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't that long ago, a couple generations ago, where the Bible was one of the main arguments being used to protect slavery. And that's what I was going to—I was actually just thinking that even before we brought up slavery is that the— that's, I feel like that's a huge reason why Christians think that America is a Christian nation because it's being used, you know, in several times in the past, the Bible has been used and treated like a constitution. Um, and that's, you know, what he says, the constitution, you know, we're reading the Bible as a constitution, the way America wrote the constitution as a law book. That's the way that we read the Bible. And because of that issue specifically, that is why I think we've we run into so many issues with interpretation, with, you know, again, slavery number one is being used as a case that the Bible is literally used for pro-slavery. So many novels are were written, you know, back in the day about why slavery is a good thing and how, you know, we can use it to our for our good or the Americans could back then. Um, and looking at that makes a lot of sense to me now is just like, like we were saying, an interpretation issue. Um, well, and, and I think the, so this is like the second chapter in this part where right. he talks about the Bible as a constitution and the, this, it's really interesting because you, you, it's really good to think about where you came from. So American Christianity has lived within a constitutional society. Right. Where we have this document that we hold in high regard that that the Supreme Court still goes back to to decide whether something is quote unquote constitutional, and there's a real case to be made for how that kind of American thinking really influenced the way in which we read the Bible. So you know, I almost uh, you know when I think of people, you, you talked about verse snatching or verse. I forget the yeah uh, verse snatching verse it was, picking yeah whatever. or cherry it's, picking yeah, yeah it's this idea that you pull out a verse and say well the verse says this so this is the way that it is it, mm. it, it feels like a lawyer being like well in article two <laughs> yeah, paragraph exactly. five it says this in our constitution and that's my so I'm building my case on that and there's like a whole culture around using scripture and you know I this is a random thought but I almost even think the fact that we divided I find that the, I'm going to tangent here, but the fact that the Bible was divided into chapters and verses was something that happened later. Mm. And it's great for being able to use it as a reference because you can find the chapter and verse. But there is this case to be made for encountering the books of the Bible as books. The chapters and verses are arbitrary, but they are in there. And now we think in chapter and verse so much that people will pull a verse and chapter, a chapter verse a verse out of a particular chapter, out of context, and say, because it says this, I now believe this. And that is one of the ways in which we approach Scripture as a constitution. So the question is, Delaney, so this is, this is the question that I have for you, is obviously the Bible wasn't given to us as a constitution. The way in which our American psyche, the, the overarching American culture, it's influenced us. Let's talk a little bit about how what Brian McLaren says. Like, let's not approach it as a as a as a constitution. We should approach it as what? A library. Um, 
that and that's something that Joe talked about in our Bible class so forever ago. Um, a is, while ago. Yeah, it was. I think it was in May or June, maybe. And I hadn't um, read the book yet. Right. By the way. Not even. Yeah, not even from that. He probably got that from Bible college or something. No, I got it from. <laughs> the, it goes back to the chapter and verse thing, actually. Okay. Because there was this Kickstarter where they put out a uh, the Bible as individual books mm. called, and they called it Bibliotheca. Which yeah. is where we get the word Bible, by the way. Gotcha. And I, that opened up this like rabbit trail of like, what does that mean? You know, stuff. And uh, you could buy these. You could buy like the the Gospel of Matthew, just as the Gospel of Matthew, as if it had been laid out and printed as an individual book. Oh, okay. And it was kind of a cool thing. And you could buy the whole collection. And it was it was it was like it was real popular for a hot second. And then I think the ESV did their own version and stuff. But it changes the way you approach the Bible when you begin to see these are actually a collection of different books. And then I realized the Bibliotheca, which we get the word Bible from, means library or collection of books. And of course, we call them the Book of Matthew, but we tend to think of it as, I think I just was raised to think of it as a constitution, right. not a collection of books. But he went on to talk about what makes a library different in a way that I, that I hadn't thought about, that I thought was really interesting. And I almost think that what I, what I was thinking too is when you were saying it, like outlining it with chapter and verses, I almost feel like chapters are fine. Because that makes that's how you read a normal cha- chapter book. But when you do the verses, that means that people can bring it down to one sentence sure. that they can read and just you know that's the verse snatching thing. I almost well, yeah. I'm fine with both as long as people realize they weren't in the original text. Right. I I have as much criticism as chapters because we tend to default to chapters as natural breaks in thought. Mm, and, yeah. And some some that's a form of interpretation. Someone put those chapter breaks in. Right. And sometimes they put them right in the middle of a thought. Yeah. And it, it wasn't written that way. It wasn't. But, yeah. So I'm like I'm I'm okay with it. All things considered, you know, just as long as people are aware. Right. And that it's well, not meant to be. I, I don't, quote verses all the time. I don't know. I mean, I do too. Sometimes I even read the context. <laughs> I don't know that people realize that it's I mean most a lot of people do. I'm not going to say that most people, but I think that a lot of people especially if they're if you're a new believer or whatever, they're not realizing that maybe the Bible was written in a different language and so they're going to take that all to heart. The way that it's broken up, the way that, you know, the chapters are um they're going to read it in that way and that again falls into false interpretation. Well, I think the, the you know, so one of the things that he said in, in one of the chapters around it being a library that I thought was really interesting and hadn't considered is there were different kinds of libraries. So a law library is different than a medical library. And a library essentially doesn't just become a random collection of books, mm. but a curated collection of books. And so when we talk about the canon, which is a, you know, a church word for, what what it's the Bible we consider it canon, but right. it actually it's not a church word because they talk about that with like Marvel too. Yeah, like what is canon? Like Star Wars has canon. Oh, yeah. What's canon and what's not canon? That's so that's just a term. Like what is officially a part of our narrative? Right. And so this collection of books is considered canon, and it's a curated collection of books. When they were being written, there was no Bible. You know, there was no. It, they became a Bible as people gathered these different writings together. And so it's a curated collection of books. Now, I still hold on to the fact, I still believe in God, I still believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I believe that God was involved in the curating of those books. Right. Not, not necessarily everyone through deconstruction is, is there, but I would say, yeah, like God was still involved in the curating of books. 
But when I think about it as a library, and this is Brian McLaren's, one of his big arguments that I thought was interesting, is a constitution is a collection of agreed upon statements that are enforceable. They're agreed upon and they're enforceable. So that's what you can quote and say, this is what it says, we have to do that. That's what makes a constitution. A library is a curated collection of, of, of diverse arguments. Mm. You collect these different perspectives um, around the same kind of questions. So, you know, medical libraries asking, trying to answer questions that are similar than compared to law library. But they're a collection of arguments. And when you begin to understand right. that that's actually what the Bible is, it's a collection of different arguments related to similar questions. All of a sudden, it makes sense. And, and, and this is why this matters. Most of my early experience with the Bible and in Christianity, massive amount of literature, and I read a, a fair amount of it, and energy was spent in trying to make sense of biblical discrepancies. It says this Proof. here, but it says this over here. Like apologetics. Yeah, and yeah. we have to. We mm -hmm. have to. We're going to put all of this energy into explaining why these don't actually disagree. Right. When you begin to realize that the Bible is a library, and that it's a collection of different arguments, and it's in those conversations that we find the truth, you're like, well, of course they disagree. <laughs> it says in Deuteronomy, and, and Brian gets into this. It says in Deuteronomy that if you obey God, you will be blessed. Mm. Over and over, it says in Deuteronomy. In Job, it <laughs> says. If you're not blessed and you're currently suffering, it doesn't necessarily mean you disobeyed God. Right. Well, which is true. And then a lot of work will be put around and trying to figure that out. Or, or like the famous one that, I don't know, 90s Christians that I grew up with loved to debate was, uh, Paul said it was faith, not works. But James said that if you have faith without works, your faith is dead. So which <laughs> yeah. one is it? Yes. And we had all this. Well, that's a good example. They're both true. Right. They are talking, they're trying to wrestle with the same similar questions. And it's in that conversation that you you find wisdom. And yeah, and maybe different circumstances. And what I was thinking about too earlier was how you're saying like law books, medical books, different things. So a lot of like for law and medical books, for example, like you're looking through a library to find answers mm -hmm. and you're going to find an answer. But something that people forget about the Bible specifically is the Bible does not provide clarity to answer clarity and answers to all of life's questions. A lot of these things are still going to be a mystery. A lot of these things are going to be left without answers. And sometimes I feel like that's not good enough for people. And they're like, no, that's not true. The Bible is going to give me answers to life's questions. Like I remember back again, maybe another 90s reference, but I remember back in the day, like people would say like the Bible was... Um, it is like our answer book to life's questions or like I had like when I was a kid I had a book that said the Bible's answers and it was just like you yeah. go through and you find answers to any question that you might have and it could be like you said it could just be an arbitrary like just verses here and there but depending on you know the older you get and the questions get harder and it, there's not going to be a specific statement that's going to answer that question for you yeah well and I think I think that's a good point because if you're coming to scripture with a question, and with then you're, view, you're going yeah. to be pulling scripture out of context to answer that question. So exactly. you're like coming to scripture, I'll give an absurd example. How should I relate to people on social media? 
Well, now you have to like kind of stretch and you're going to end up in places looking at like, what does it mean to engage in public discourse and what does kindness look like? I mean, you could find answers to how should I engage people on social media. Right. The reality, though, is that that's not a question that the biblical writers were asking because social media didn't exist. And so if you really want to approach scripture from a, what I would suggest is a more humble approach. You're not coming to Scripture with an agenda. So even asking a specific question and hoping that Scripture answers it is is its own benign, but still it's it's an agenda. Mm-hmm. The, what I like to do is like what what question was the writers trying to wrestle with, and right. if I can understand that question, and, and and here's what I will say: Scripture might not have an answer to all of life's questions, point blank, but Scripture wrestles with what I think are very important questions right? that are worth considering that many of us probably don't spend time with. But what's important to remember is that they were wrestling with it. Exactly. Yeah. It's not, not, here's here's the question, here's the answer. They wrestled with it. They they fought with each other. They didn't agree. They're so, like you were saying with James, you know, and the other, what was the other one? James and Paul. James and Paul. Faith versus works. Faith versus works. They were just, basically those those verses were disagreeing. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like depending on context for that. Of course. Yeah. And so, and that's another thing. I feel like context is so important. Well, well and that's what Brian McLaren, so he talks about Job a lot. And the majority of Job, as far as word count goes, is Job. So Job, if you're not familiar, it's a story about somebody who's suffering. And he's never, even at the end, told why he's suffering. And we won't get into the reasons why, but there's this whole conversation with God and Satan, etc. And But the majority of the book is his friends, his good Jewish old Hebrew Bible-believing friends, coming and giving him counsel. And they are teaching what the Bible at that point had taught around suffering, which was Mm -hmm. if you trust God and obey God, things will go well, which they took to mean if things aren't going well, like they aren't for you, Job, then where have you sinned? What do you need to confess? And you're cursed, And so they are essentially teaching good theology and they are applying it to the wrong situation. And at the end, God calls them fools right so here's an example here's a biblical example of someone teaching the bible and god saying you got it all wrong that's so good teaching good theology out of context essentially yeah teaching good theology to the wrong (laughs) in the wrong circumstance absolutely (laughs) i mean and you see it in the new testament um peter talks about how people take paul's words and twist them out of context and use them Mm. to hurt people I'm thinking of the roof story. Was that Peter? Or which one? Um, when he when he's on on the roof and and God tells him. I think you said can, Ruth. Oh, roof. Roof. <laughs> roof. <laughs> and so God tells him he can they can eat whatever they want now. Like that's yeah, Peter. Yeah. So that that's a really good example maybe for that as well. Like God's telling you this, even though the Bible says this. Okay, no. In order to reach these people, the Gentile Christians, you need to start, you know, eating and, you know, just basically behaving like a not a Jewish person so that he could reach those people in that way. Um, oh, and he got so much, you know, uh, Peter. It, it's crazy because, so, so Peter, he's the leader of the church. He gets this vision. God says, you can't call unclean what I call clean. Gentiles basically don't have to become Jews in order to become Christians. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, they were able to just become Christians. 
But Peter doesn't, you know, Peter is the one who receives that vision. Mm -hmm. He's the one who tells the church it's going to be different. And then he still uh, has a hard time living into that. Right. Later on, Paul calls him out because he's, he won't eat with Gentiles, even though he's the one who said that it's okay for Gentiles to be Christians. Right. So that's a whole other story around, you know, you could actually have good theology but bad practice. Exactly. <laughs> like yeah, you could I believe, think, yeah. You could believe example. certain people are included in the church but not want not, to be around no, them. Treat them that way, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a really good example of that, of believing something but having, struggling to be able to live it out. And that's essentially what we're talking about here with the authority of Scripture. So, well, so at the end, so he, he you know, just to summarize what we've mm-hmm. talked about, we're talking about the authority question. And one of the big things that he, I think he's been trying to say is, um, we've been willing to repent of bad interpretations. So most Christians nowadays, and I say most, not all, but I would say the vast majority would repent and say, hey, slavery was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And the way in which the Bible was used was bad. And so we'll repent of that. Other Christians will do something similar around LGBTQ theology, right. around women in leadership. Not everyone, but others will. And say that we, we, were, we got that wrong. What he's suggesting is that even though we've repented of those individual interpretations, we haven't necessarily fully processed the way in which we're reading the Bible that produces those interpretations. Exactly. And that's where he gets into the conversation around the Constitution versus a library. And understanding that you know, this is meant to be a collection of really important conversations and, and wrestling around yeah. what it means to be the people of God mm-hmm. in relation to God, to wrestle with what it means to follow God, and to respond to God when God shows up and points us in new directions. And and it's really, I think, really helpful for that. But then it can be used inappropriately when we begin to treat it more like a constitutional. It's so it's so freeing to know that the Bible is just a bunch of people just like us, flawed people trying to figure all this stuff out and have a relationship with God. When you read it with the Constitution mindset, it makes it very, you know, it has chains on it essentially. And it, it's not free. It doesn't make you feel like you can do it. It doesn't make me feel like I can be a Christian successfully. Whereas, you know, if we read it this way of it's like all these people were struggling too. Okay, I find solace in that and I can be like that too. The, the one thing I'll say and then, then we'll bring this to a close is there is something about human psychology that we find great comfort in authority. Right. Okay. And we all have authority. And so one of the questions you can wrestle with is who's the authority in your life? Hmm. And when I, I, this, everything I've said here has not challenged or changed Scripture's authority in my life. Right. It has helped me understand it better and to interpret it better, I believe. Hmm. Um, ultimately, Scripture isn't the highest authority in my life. I happen to believe Jesus is. And that's a whole other conversation. But for those Christians who might be listening who view Scripture as this undeniable unchallengeable constitutional authority in your life, this conversation can be very upsetting. Mm-hmm. And I just want you to know, I get that. I'm not trying to force anything. You don't have to freak out. I have a very high view of Scripture. <laughs> I've studied it more than anything else in my life. <laughs> right. I love Scripture. And if you're having an emotional response to it, that's okay. 
You That's be where you need to be, and you wrestle with it the way you need to wrestle with it. I, there's no judgment here. I'm not trying to force I think that's a good anything. thing. If, if this is stirring something inside of you, that's a good thing, whether good or bad, yeah. of the feeling. Um, because you're, you know, you're growing, you're changing, and you're learning new things, and that's important. So one final question, who's the authority in your life? We're mm. going to talk about that on Wednesday. So as we talk about Scripture, as we talk about its role as authority— we also need to, yeah, let's, we're going to talk about what, it, we're going to reflect on what does authority look like in your life and, and in your faith, who's an authority? Because this question has shaped the church. It's the difference between Protestant and Catholic. Mm-hmm. It's the difference between Catholic and Orthodox. It's the reason why there's so many denominations is answering this question, who has ultimate authority and why? Whether it's the church, whether it's the Holy Spirit, whether it's the Bible, and all these different traditions have have leaned on one more than the other. So we'll have that conversation and talk about these things. So love to hear your feedback. I want to say thanks to everyone who's listening. I want to say thanks to everyone who listened last week. And I want to apologize to those who had to listen twice to understand what we were saying. <laughs> we're going to get better at this. I think we got even better this yeah, week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, keeping it, keeping it, uh, uh, you know, accessible to, to whoever. And part of that is just us processing it, you know, live with you all. But um, I, it, I really enjoy the conversation. So yeah, we hope to see you there. See ya. Have a good one.